Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. You guys are looking alive and here. Is there any energy in the room today? Oh, okay. A little more than I was expecting. That's wonderful. So good. Well, today we're continuing in our series in which we're looking at the miracle stories of Jesus. And what we're discovering is, is that our God is a way maker. In other words, when it seems as though life has came to a dead end, it seems as though there's no way forward. Maybe you got a diagnosis from a doctor. Maybe you've been laid off of work and you don't think you're ever gonna get hired again. Maybe there's things that have happened in your world that just seem as though this is the end of life as you know it. Our God specializes in making a way where there seems to be no way. He is a way maker. You see how that works? He's making a way. And so we sing about this. We actually sung about it this morning in a reference of a song that went back to Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. If you remember, the Israelites were God's people. They were in slavery. And so they cried out to God and said, God, we need to have a rescue. We need you to make a way. There's no way for us to break free of our captivity. We're stuck in this slavery. And God heard their prayer request and he made a way. And so Moses went to Pharaoh. You remember the story? and he said, let my people go. And then all these bad things happened and then they got out, right? And as they're leaving, Pharaoh had a change of heart and he said, you know what? I don't think this was such a good idea. We need to go get them back. And Moses is like, let's keep going, guys. And so he's marching on and all of a sudden they hit the Red Sea, which would have looked to them like an ocean. There's no way that we're gonna get through this. There's, there's too many people and we can't go around and there's not enough boats and we can't make them. He's trying to think, I don't know what we're gonna do. But God, when there seemed to be no way forward, say, hey, Mo, just lift up your staff. And he did and the Red Sea parted, which who would have ever thought that could happen never happened before? Like what? And they walked through and we sang about it this morning. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. Like God does the unthinkable. And so we're singing about it in those songs. We sang about it without singing the Waymaker song, you know, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. But that is our God. And so every week we're looking at these stories that I'm so thankful are recorded for us in the scriptures that talk about Jesus' interaction with people. Not only is he doing something that they never thought possible in the physical, but he's looking beyond that and saying, you know what? I care more about what's going on on the inside of you. I care more about your spirit and your soul. I care about where your mind, your will, and your emotions are, and I wanna transform you. I wanna show you what it really means to be human. I know you think you know what it means, and you're trying to do it, and you're trying to fulfill yourself, but I wanna show you how I designed you, created you to live, and inside of doing it his way, that's the only place that there's true fulfillment and fruitfulness in your life. And so today, we're going to jump in to another miracle story. But before we do, I feel like I need to ask the question, do you believe that God still does miracles? And and some of you say yes, but I know that there's some people who really feel as though they need a miracle in their life, but they also don't think it's ever going to happen. And so I hope when I ask the question, like, do you believe in miracles? You say, I believe in miracles. Where are you from? You don't sing the next part because we're in church. 
But I really hope that you believe in miracles. And it's not so much that I just believe that this can happen, but I believe in the God who makes it happen, right? Like the faith that we have is not in getting the end result or getting what we're praying for, but the fact of the matter is is that we can get the miracle working God. Like that's more important. My, my dad used to talk about his uncle who had great success in the business world and uh, he, he would talk about the golden goose. He said, what do you want? Do you want the golden egg or do you want the golden goose? Like you can spend all your life just trying to get the egg, but if you've got the golden goose, there's gonna be more eggs. And I feel it's the same way with God. Sometimes we just want the miracle. We just want the egg. But he is the golden goose. Like he is the way maker. And if we have him, we always have hope. No situation is too far gone. No situation is too far in despair. No, no, he is a way maker. And so my hope with this series is that each week as we're looking at these stories of what Jesus has done, that it will build your faith, that it will build your confidence, and that you might be open to what God might just do in your life. Wouldn't that be good? So I hope as we read these scriptures today that this will help build your faith, that it will help encourage you, it'll help give you confidence in who our God is. And it's easy when it comes to miracles to have skepticism. I think I'm probably number one in line. I I shouldn't say that as the pastor here, but like when I hear people and they talk about this crazy story, I died and I went to hell and I came back and I smelled like smoke. I'm like, really? I don't know. Like, I got that skepticism thing. Oh, but he was a little kid. There's no way he could have drawn that picture of Jesus. He definitely went to heaven. I don't know. I don't know. That's me. So I know we all have this skepticism, right? There's a place in all of us like, I don't really know. Like, did that really happen? And when it comes to the Bible, we're like, of course it happened because it was in the Bible. But like in real life, do we believe that God can still do those miracles? And I hope that we're open to God doing miracles because I think that he is. And you can know that there are some churches who believe that the miracles that God did in the Bible were just for the Bible times, that he actually stopped and that he is no longer doing miracles, that his spirit's no longer doing that. And I want you to know, as a church, that's not what we believe. We believe that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that the power that he showed then is the same power available to us now, and that he can still do miracles in our life. I think the thing that needs to move us maybe from skepticism to faith, how do we move from this place, I've just got some doubts, I'm just not so sure, to I believe. What, what makes that move? Well, I think one thing that can move us is desperation. And we're gonna talk a little bit about desperation today. Because see, I think... I would like God to give me a miracle, but even if he doesn't, I'll be all right. I'm not really desperate for him. I don't really need it. Like, I'm gonna be okay either way. And I think God says, well, why would I give you that miracle? Like, you're not really even desiring what I desire. You just want it to be an add-on to your life. What happens when we become desperate is that we, we leave skepticism, we leave the world of doubt, and we need a move of God in our life. And so today we're going to read a story about someone who is definitely desperate. And this is going to be a really cool story. We're going to find this in Mark chapter 5. So if you have a Bible and you brought it and you want to check it out, you can follow along. We'll put it on the screen here for you as well. And so we're going to read this story that's found in Mark chapter 5, but it's a unique story because it's actually kind of a sandwich story. All right, and so I'm going to explain that. Um, When I was a kid... My mom's favorite cookie was Oreos. Any Oreo fans out there? 
Yeah, so my mom, the way that she did it, she got like the, the big glass and filled it with milk and then she would dip and I don't know how many seconds she held it in there, but it was until it softened up. And then, you know, she would drop it in. And, and so I remember Miss um, Susie Nichols that's out here. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, she saw me and I was eating an Oreo and she said, Alex, do you know how to eat an Oreo properly? And I thought, well, are you talking about like the milk dip? She said, no. She said, give me that Oreo. And she took the Oreo, and it was the first time I ever saw it, and she twisted it apart, and she licked the icing out, and she put the cookie back together and gave it to me. She didn't even want the cookie. She just wanted the inside of the cookie. So today, we're going to come across this Bible sandwich story, right? There's going to be like a beginning of the story, then it's going to get interrupted with some great filling, and then there's another cookie at the end. We're focusing on the frosting in the middle. It's going to be one of those stories today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to hop into this. I want to read the entire story. This may be a new story for you. You may haven't heard this. If you haven't read your Bible this week, hey, we're going to get your Bible time up right now. And then what we'll do, after I read the whole passage, we'll pray. And then we're going to go back and we're going to investigate the frosting. It's going to be so, so good. Are you guys ready? Come on, we're going to read God's word together. So here we go. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse number 21. Jesus got into the boat again. How many of you guys are boat people? Yeah, some of you guys are like, I love my boat. Uh, he got back in the boat again and he went to the other side of the lake. You know, that was no small task. They didn't have things called motors. <laughs> and so he got to the other side where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying. Please, please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Well, Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. They were probably thinking, this is going to be awesome. Let's go see what's going to happen. Verse 25, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay for them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Well, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Come on, look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, like, who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, the words are still coming out of his mouth, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. 
But Jesus overheard them and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, who was the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her these Aramaic words, which means, little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And then Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we live in a time in which these stories, these scriptures are readily available to us. And we thank you, God, that they show us who you are, that you are a way maker. I ask as we investigate this story further, God, that you would increase our faith, that we would have a greater belief in who you are and what it is that you can do in our world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's dive into this. In the Bible, life is often associated with blood. The earliest writers of the Bible recognized that blood was a life-sustaining substance. Blood not only was a symbol of life and death, but it also served as a sacred substance that was used in sacrificial rituals. So if you wanted purification or consecration or atonement, there was a shedding of blood. The expression actually shedding of blood actually was used to indicate murder or death. And so they understood that a loss of blood resulted in a loss of life. And in our story, we are introduced to a woman with an issue of blood. She has constant bleeding. She is hemorrhaging. She is dealing with an ongoing discharge of blood, and it must have felt as though life itself was draining from her. Now, as I thought about this story, I realized that as a man, I cannot even imagine what this would be like. In fact, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be married to someone who was on their period for 12 years straight. Can you imagine? I mean, one week per month has its challenges, but, but 144 months every week? That's 624 consecutive weeks, also known as 4,368 days. What? And according to Jewish law, and we don't know if this woman was married or if she's single, but if she was married, according to Jewish law, sexual intercourse wasn't allowed while a woman was, quote, ceremonially unclean. If you want to talk about attention in a marriage, can you imagine? Every day I can imagine the possible husband saying, hey, babe, has Aunt Flo left town? She said, no. And he says, say what? You say it's getting worse? No way. And friends, this is how progressive insurance chose Flo as their spokeswoman. <laughs> That's such a bad joke. That's such a bad joke. 
All right, take that off the screen. I'm having a little fun. That was bad. But on a serious note, like this was not something that this woman would have been amused by. Uh, This was not something that she would have laughed at. This is something that would have actually been something that she didn't want anybody to know about. You realize the time in history, there wasn't products that could help you with this. It would have been embarrassing. It would have created anxiousness in her. There would have been discomfort. And and, and because of the laws and the time and the land, there was extra things that were going on. Like, we have to realize that this woman was suffering, and it wasn't just for a little bit. Like, she was 12 years. I, I don't know anything I've done for 12 years other than be married. Like, that's about the only thing I've done for 12, like 12 years, and she's been constantly in physical suffering. And not only is her suffering physical, but she also is dealing with spiritual suffering. She's dealing with emotional suffering. She's dealing with relational suffering, and she's dealing with financial suffering. There's a lot going on in this story, more than we realize. See, to struggle with this discharge of blood not only would have been embarrassing, it's not like the sort of thing you ask for prayer in the church regroup. Like, it would have been something that you would have tried to keep quiet, but at the same time, there would be questions because you're not allowed, according to Jewish law, to go to the synagogue. You can't go to the temple. You can't go to the tabernacle. So all of a sudden, well, hey, why aren't you going to church anymore? Hey, we're not seeing you around as much. And it's because she is not allowed to because she is, quote, unclean. And in fact, these laws in the land were, were so strict that if anyone touched her or her clothes or her bed or her chair or anything else, they too would have been considered unclean. So in other words, she's in a place that she's saying, listen, you can't be around me. I'm sorry. I don't want to make you unclean. I don't want you to have to be able to to not do what you're supposed to do with God, but, but you can't be around me. And maybe that was okay at the beginning, the first week. Maybe the first two weeks, the first month. But can you imagine six months of telling people, hey, I can't be around you? And can you imagine people saying, you know what, I can't be around you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to accidentally touch you. I'm sorry, I can't associate with you. And all of a sudden, a year goes by. Can you imagine the emotions that she would have felt? Every day, waking up wondering, is this the day that this stops? Is this the day that I am actually going to stop bleeding or or is this going to continue? And every day having hopes high and being crushed, every day not having someone to come and hold her hand and say, it's going to be okay. I'm with you in this. No, no, that person's not there because that would be unclean. She is alone. She is going through suffering. She's not just physically suffering and in pain. She's got emotional suffering. She's going through it relationally and she spent all of her money. She ain't got no more money. She's trying to find an answer. She's looking for anybody. Anybody help me. Can anybody fix this? And I don't know what the doctors were doing, but they took advantage of her. They took all the money she had and didn't help her one iota. Oh yeah, yeah, we'll help you. And she get her hopes up and go meet this doctor and then nothing, it ain't happening. And she comes to this place of being broke, broke spiritually, broke physically, broke emotionally, broke relationally. Living a life in isolation, in quarantine, as though she had some sort of contagious disease. As I said earlier, I don't know if this woman was married. I don't know if she was single. If she was single, well, there's not much hope of getting married in this condition. If she was married, 
Well, we already talked about how there's no sexual intercourse in the relationship, and, and what if she wanted to have children? Well, there's no having children. There is a death happening. It feels like life itself is draining from her. Her hopes, her dreams of what life would one day be like, it ain't happening. In verse 26, it said that she had suffered much under many physicians, spent all she had, and it was no better, but she's getting worse. And I don't know if you've ever been desperate, but this woman was desperate. And desperate people do desperate things. She was desperate. I can't go on living like this. I can't do this anymore. And in her desperation, she chose to ignore the rules about uncleanness. And she went through the crowd, I'm sure, brushing up against people, technically making others unclean. But she believed, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just, if I could just touch him in the, the slightest way, I don't even have to, I don't even need his hands on me. If I could just touch the, the hem, the fringe of his robe, then maybe I would be healed. Verse 27 says that she had heard about Jesus. I, I, I want to stop and just say, can you understand how important to the story the unnamed person who she heard about Jesus from is? I don't know who it was. I don't know if she overheard it in the crowd. I don't know if somebody told her. But listen, had she not heard about Jesus, there would have been no desperate act of reaching out to Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you and tell you, your words matter. And people are listening more than you realize. They are listening and people are desperate and you don't even know what your story can do. You don't even know when you lift up the name of Jesus what it means. Because for this woman, she just happened to hear about Jesus and this unnamed person is the one who led her to the feet of Jesus to where she could receive a miracle. She would have never gone to Jesus had she not heard about him. And as we continue in the verse, so she came up behind him through the crowd like she's embarrassed. She's not approaching him head on. She's not making a scene. She is stealth mode like I'm getting to him. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. The other thing I want you to notice here is that it's possible that this woman may have never gone and reached out to Jesus had she not had the issue of blood. See, sometimes we get so mad about our situation, we get so irritated that we have whatever's going on, but man, sometimes your situation is the very thing that God's using to draw you to him. And listen, you don't have to be poor and marginalized and broke and unhealthy to need Jesus. And I think that's the crazy thing about our Oreo sandwich story here, is that we have Two very different people in this story. Remember, it started off with a guy by the name of Jairus. Jairus is married. Jairus has a child. Jairus has a job. In fact, we know Jairus' name, and we don't even know this woman's name. Jairus every day works in the synagogue, the very place this woman can't enter in because of her uncleanness. Jairus is a leader at the synagogue, which means he's making a living. He has money, and this woman is broke. But both of these people from two different classes of economy, two different parts of society, guess what? They both find themselves at the very feet of 
Jesus. It doesn't matter what your background is. Whether you think you got it together on the outside or whether it seems like everything's falling apart. We all need Jesus. And in this story, these two people who maybe never had any interaction together are in the same spot at the same time at the feet of Jesus. Desperate people do desperate things. And Jairus was desperate. He couldn't fix his daughter. No matter how much money he had, no matter the fact that he was the guy who was working as a religious leader, it didn't matter. He couldn't fix his daughter. Jesus, I need you. He was waiting on the shore. He could see the boat. Oh, Jesus is coming. The crowds are gathering. He's making sure he's in the front of the line. It's not good for pastors to push, but he is making sure when Jesus gets off that boat, hey, Jesus, I need you. 911, it's an emergency. My daughter's dying. Can you leave everything and come with me? This is an ambulance call. This is ER. Like, she is dying. Can you imagine what this man would have been like? He would have not been prideful anymore. There's all these crowds. Hey, 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 get out of my way. I need Jesus to get to my daughter. My daughter's sick. Hey, hey, excuse me. Excuse, I'm sorry, he doesn't have time. He's got to get to my daughter. And then in the midst of this, hey, where, Jesus, where'd Jesus go? And there's this woman, and Jesus has stopped, and he's turning around, and he's saying, hey, who touched my rope? And the disciples are like, are you crazy? Like, everybody's touched you. <laughs> he's like, no, no, no. I didn't ask who touched me. I asked who touched my robe. Thanks for listening, disciples. It's okay. We'll talk about this later over the bonfire. <laughs> And as we, we look at this story, she just touched the fringe of his garment. It says in Matthew 9, as it tells the same story, and, and when she did, immediately the, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of this terrible condition. And this is the most interesting part, right? That like Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. I don't even know what that means, but he knew something had happened. And so he turned around. Man, I am so thankful that Jesus turned around for me. I'm so thankful that Jesus stopped what he was doing. He didn't just say, you know what, somebody got a miracle. They stole one from me. I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> there ain't no stealing miracles from Jesus. He stopped. He turned around. Hey, who touched my robe? Jesus could have kept on walking. He could have kept this a private matter. She could have got her little healing and went home. But he didn't do that. And the woman probably knew that by touching Jesus' clothes that she had ceremonially defiled him. And that contact with him probably defiled him and every other member of the crowd as well. And maybe she was afraid as he stopped and said, who touched my robe? That he was going to turn around and call her out and shame her and expose her. And say, you've been bad. Cannot believe that you've done this to all these people. She doesn't know. She's never met him. She snuck up behind him, touched him. She knows something's happened to her. But friends, Jesus is never interested in exposing or shaming you. His disciples said to him, look, the crowds are pressing in around you. How can you ask who touched me? But verse 32 says, he kept on looking around. 
to see who had done it. He didn't just stop and turn. No, no, no. We're going to make sure we find who touched me. He didn't give up. He was persistent. And while the woman may have felt as though judgment and rejection was going to come her way, more of what she had had for the last 12 years, for whatever reason, verse 33 says that the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, she's frightened. She came and fell to her knees in front of Jesus and told them what she had done. Another verse says that she told him her whole story. And if you have ever spent time talking to a woman, you know that that was a long story. <laughs> and all the while this talk is going on, let's not forget Jairus is feeling the pressure that my daughter is dying. He left her to find Jesus and waited on the shore. He don't know the situation, he don't know what's going on, but all I know is that this woman is slowing down my miracle. And in fact, I'm waiting for my miracle, I'm waiting for Jesus to get to my daughter for a miracle, and I'm actually having to watch someone else get their miracle? Have you ever been there? Waiting for your miracle and watching other people get theirs? Oh God, I still wanna get married, and then all your friends are getting married and you're still single? I want to get a different job. You can't get a job. Everybody else got a new job. People in your church be like, God just healed my body. And you're like, he didn't heal mine. Jesus is taking this time here to stop and to find this woman. And here she is. She's, she's revealed herself and she's probably afraid of rejection and being scolded or reprimanded. But instead, she tells her whole story. And Verse 34, man, is so powerful. And when we read it, we just miss it. But he says this to her. Daughter. He doesn't say woman. He doesn't say sinner. He doesn't say unclean. Daughter. In other words, he looks at her and says, you're not an interruption to me. You're not an inconvenience to me. No. I accept you. You are in my family. You are mine. I accept you are my daughter. He identified her by this term that says you are in my family. And Jesus was passionate in this moment to give his approval to the woman for her desperation. No longer do you have to continue to avoid people and avoid circumstances and situations and I know you're suffering, I know your pain and I know you're hurt, but I want you to know I accept you. You are not on the outside. You are not rejected anymore. There is healing that has come and it's not just come to you physically. No, I'm healing you emotionally in this moment. I'm healing you relationally in this moment. I'm healing you spiritually in this moment. You are forever new because you are mine and I accept you and I approve of your act of faith of touching my robe. Well, while this whole story is going on, 
I think it's good that Jesus does clarify and set the record straight that it wasn't the woman's touch that made her well. It was her faith that made her well. It was her assurance in the fact of who Jesus is and the authority that he carried. That's where her faith was. It wasn't in her actions of getting it done. Sometimes we want to go through the habit and, oh, how did you get your miracle? Okay, I'm going to pray that way or I'm going to read that Bible verse or I'm going to claim that every day. There's no formula. It's an authority in who Jesus is and when I trust his authority, I can receive the healing. And her faith is what made her well. It wasn't the touch. It wasn't the reaching out. But here's our man, Jairus, being held up. Woman's sharing her life story here. It's exciting, I guess. It's good, but but I got a girl at home that's that's dying. And while Jesus is still speaking to her, messengers arrive from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter's dead. There's, there's no use troubling the, the teacher now. I don't know about you, but if I was Jairus, I'm not doing well. All the hope I had in Jesus has just been crushed. The thing that we were trying to get to I left the home early to meet him here on the shore. And this woman, it feels like she stole my daughter's miracle. I don't even know how miracles work. Did he only have enough power to save one person a day? I don't know. Did he spend it all? Is he exhausted? Is he tired? Good news. Jesus has more than one miracle. His, his saving power, his, his healing power is unlimited. He is not a limited God. And while Jairus was waiting and watching, Jesus was not trying to discourage Jairus by healing the woman with the issue of blood. In fact, he was trying to encourage him. And this is hard for so many people when you're waiting for your own miracle. But Jesus overheard the conversation and he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. If anything you just saw should do anything, it should boost your confidence that I can do all things. And for some of you, that might be the reason you came to church today. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Some of you need to write that down. Make it a screensaver on your phone. Set a notification up. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. And so Jesus does some interesting stuff here. He stops the crowd. Wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. You know, show's over, y'all. I'm just taking these guys. VIP only from here on out. They come to the home of the synagogue leader. Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. I don't exactly know what wailing's like. I was at one funeral and I heard a person wailing. It was, it was memorable. True, emotional outburst, wailing. And Jesus went inside and he, he asked this question. Can you even imagine? Hey, what's all the commotion about? It's <laughs> all this weeping about. The child's not dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. Now, I do like the fact that Jesus calls out all the fakes in a hurry, doesn't he? Ah, <laughs> she's gone. What? <laughs> Nobody goes from weeping to laughing if the weeping was for real. 
Jesus called them all out. Yeah, all you fakes. He made them all leave. Get out of here. You guys are all faking. He took the girl's father and the mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. He said to her these Aramaic words, which means little girl, little girl, get up. And the girl, it's interesting that this is in there, who was 12 years old. How long did the woman have the issue of blood? 12 years. I heard a preacher talk about this. I thought it was so good. He said, if this was put into a TV show format, like this is us, this is where there would be a flashback to 12 years ago in a hospital. Jairus walking out with his wife and their newborn baby. And in the same hospital, because this is, this is us, there would be the woman coming out with the diagnosis that she has this bleeding. It's not this is us, but it's the Bible. It's pretty cool. <laughs> she was 12 years old. She immediately stood up and walked around. And everyone there was overwhelmed and totally amazed. Our takeaways today is that nothing is impossible with God. He is a way maker. He makes a way when there seems to be no way forward. He is a miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. And as we prepare to close today, we're going to do something because I want you to remember this message. And so we're going to bring some props over here to illustrate a few things. In our life, God created us to be in connection to him. In the beginning, Adam and Eve were created to live forever in proper relationship with him. And so they were created and they were good. They were clean, they were pure, they were holy. They were what what God would want them to be. And God is such a loving God. He created them in their image. They were pure and clean just like he was. But he didn't want to create just robots that just automatically obeyed without having any free will. Because if you're forced to love somebody, is it really love? And so he gave them a choice that they could choose to put him first or they could choose to put themselves first. And they, of course, chose to sin. And what God intended, what his original purpose was for this fellowship and communion to happen, it became tainted as this sin came in. And, And it didn't take much, but all of a sudden that sin just colored them and and took the trajectory of their life in a different direction. And and no longer were they pure and able to have relationship with God. They, They had been tainted by the sin of this world, but God loved them too much to leave them here. We could say that they were unclean. We could say that they were not where God wanted them to be anymore. But God loved them so much that he did not want them to remain in this state. This isn't good for you when you have sin in your life. This isn't good for you physically, emotionally, relationally, nothing. It's never going to be in your benefit when sin enters your life. And so the cool thing about our God is that he said, I cannot leave you here. I want to provide a way for you to be restored back to how you were. But you say, I don't know how. Like, I've tried to get rid of some of this sin. I tried to put it back. 
I just can't seem to get the sin out of me. And you know what happens? Before you know it, oops, I sinned again. And what started off as pure and right and good just gets worse and worse. And sometimes we can begin to think, I'm so dirty. I'm so messed up. I don't think God could ever take me. I've done too much wrong. How could a perfect loving God, how could he ever make me clean? You know, I probably think that if I was to go to God, that I would actually dirty him. I better not go to church. I'm gonna mess up all those church people because I got sin in my life. But the Bible teaches that God is light. And you can take all the darkness in the world and darkness cannot put out light. And in the same way, no matter how dirty you are, no matter what your sin is, I want you to know it cannot make God dirty. When your sin and your filth and your dirt encounters God, God will always win. It happens every time, and whatever your coloring was, it is made new. And only God can restore you and take away the sin that you put into you. And you say, but, but I'm still struggling with sin. I know Jesus has made me new, but there's something different Because see, your identity has changed. He has called you his son and his daughter. And when you sin now, it don't stick to you like it used to. For whatever reason, I put it in, but it just doesn't seem to have the same effect. And the more of God that I put in my life, the more he just allows this stuff to go away. So the question is, have you invited God into your life. Have you invited him to make you clean? 1 John 1, 9 says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful, he is, just, he is so good that he will forgive you of your sins and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See, after God does a cleansing work in your life, he no longer sees you as a sinner. He no longer sees you as bad. You no longer deserve the reprimand. Now nah, you're my daughter, you're my son. You're mine. I accept you. And I'm so thankful that our God is more powerful than sin. I'm so thankful that he can save us from where we've been. So as we close today, I want to ask you, have you gone through this process? This is what we would call becoming a Christian getting saved, maybe you heard the terms born again, being made new. Have you invited God to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and chosen to live with the identity he's placed on you? If you haven't, today can be that day. Today can be your spiritual birthday in which you are made new. And all that filth, all that grime, all that made you dirty, God can take away. And if you want that, man, I'd just love to lead you in a prayer. And it's not that the prayer and the words are the key. It wasn't the touching of the hem. It's your faith in who God is. And if you have faith, man, God will meet you. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you wanna pray that prayer, I'm gonna give you the words. I'm just gonna have you repeat a prayer after me. And I'm gonna ask all the people in the room who've gone through this process, would you pray this along with us just to encourage those who are making this decision for the very first time? Let's do this. Let's say this. Say, Heavenly Father, Father, forgive me of my sins. sins. 
make me clean. I believe Jesus died and was risen so I could be forgiven, so I could serve you. Fill me with your spirit. Help me daily for the rest of my life. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, let's rejoice with those who maybe put their faith in Jesus for the first time. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.